Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Good morning, church. We had snow in my area. I don't know who had snow in their area. We want to thank God. We all braved whatever we braved, and we came here. To God be the glory. Amen. I'm... Uh, as a family, we are supposed to be here. My wife is not at her optimum. That's why she's seated. Otherwise, uh, she would have been here. So I will read my part. She will read her part, and I will read my wife's part. We're in the book of Mark, chapter 15. Mark 15, and we are reading 21 to 47. 21 to 47. Then they compelled a certain man named Siren the father of Alexander and Rufus, as was coming out of the country and passing by, to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, and which is translated the place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, and he did not take it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they had crucified him. And, inscri- and, the, inscription, and the inscription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. With him, they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled which says he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by, blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking him among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him, riled him. Now, now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he's calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it to him say, to drink, saying, Let him alone, let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and the less of of Joseph and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up to him, came up with him to Jerusalem. Verse 42. Now when the evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, 
went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out that this, from the centurion, he granted the body of Jesus. Then he bought fine linen, took him down, wrapped him in linen, and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid. May God bless the reading of the word. To those of you that are just joining us, we've been in uh, the Gospel of Mark and uh, actually started it last year, took a little break, and are finishing it up next week on Easter Sunday. So we've been essentially walking with Jesus these last weeks toward his death. And, uh, you know, the, there's been a, a bit of a theme in my life um, to start off this year of death. Um, many of you know my father um, passed away very suddenly uh, a couple months ago. Right after that, a really close friend of mine, his, he lost his mother to death. Um, this, just a few days ago, uh, uh, the best man in my wedding texted me saying his mother just passed away. Um, this last week in our country, we saw a, a school shooting where six people, seven counting the shooter, lost their lives. I was just talking with, with my man Elijah this morning. He was just telling me a friend of his uh, was just shot and killed just right here locally. There's, this, there's been this heaviness um, in our culture and then in, in my individual life, you know, as we think about the reality of death. Paul, the apostle, said that what we get paid for sin is death. He said the wages of sin are death. And we see that, the evidence of that in our culture with things like school shootings, with, um, senseless violence. And so this morning, I just want to, before we, we look at this particular part of Jesus' life, which again ends in what? It ends in death. I want to just take a moment in prayer um, and ask the Lord to, to speak to us this morning through all this. So Father, we, we're sitting here, we're gathered here as we do on Sundays. We've been singing about your victory, but we also wonder sometimes um, where it is in our own lives, where your power and your majesty is displayed in our culture and the brokenness that we see around us. We sometimes wonder, have you forgotten us? Have you let us alone? We feel the weight, Lord God, of the evil around us. We feel the weight of our own mortality, knowing that our life is just a vapor. And so, Father, we need to know this morning that you are here, that you are with us, that your plans will come to pass. And, Lord, as we look at this text this morning of your march to the cross 2,000 years ago and what it broke and what it changed and what it made possible, would you... Allow us to see with fresh eyes and open hearts that you are still who you say you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh God. Oh God. Maybe you've said that before. Sinner and saint alike have yelled this out 
in times of desperation. For the Christian, we might say, oh God, I need you to come through. Or, oh God, do you hear me? Moments that, that cause us to cry this kind of desperate exclamation, they often reflect a, a type of darkness that is often suddenly overtaken our lives. And whether this morning you're sitting in this type of darkness in your life right now or not, we know that sometimes in these moments when we say, oh God, it feels like we're alone, like it's a solitary experience. Maybe you felt that this last week as you read the headlines of what was happening in Nashville. Oh God, another school shooting. We feel it together. Another unbelievably evil tragedy added to the history of our nation. Oh God. And whether the desperation that we feel is is personal, whether it's national or global, the darkness at times just seems too heavy, too oppressive to deal with. And this was certainly the feeling on this particular night that was just read about 2,000 years ago. Jesus was taken from his closest friends, and he was set up to be tortured and crucified. And this morning, we sit here collectively feeling that darkness, the weight of that, both from what's happened in the past and what is happening in our current reality. Today, just one week before Easter, we also remember that the sin of humanity is what led Jesus to the cross. And it's not just this ancient sin that led to his sacrifice, but also the sins that had not yet happened. Sins of war and abuse and anger, and at the core, a rejection of God. These are the very things that lead into darkness, and they are what took Jesus there. And so this morning we look at Mark chapter 15 verses 21 through 47. And we ask the question, God, have you abandoned me? It was a similar question that Jesus seemed to ask while on the cross. This was just read, but we'll read it again together. It says, at noon darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran filled the sponge with vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Now, before this moment we read last week, the soldiers had already mocked Jesus. You remember, was our, from our text last week, they, they had clothed him in purple, which is a sign of royalty. They had fixed a crown on his head. A crown of what? A crown of thorns. They had mocked him. And at noon, just three hours after being hung on the cross, as if to symbolize the reality of what was happening, in a supernatural way, darkness covers the land. 
what would it symbolize? Well, maybe darkness would would symbolize the, the connection to the plague. You remember the plague of darkness when the, the nation of Israel was in slavery and darkness covered the land as a sign of God's judgment on the people of Egypt. Darkness symbolizing sin, the collective sin that Jesus was taking on himself. Darkness connected to judgment the result of being separate from God. And at the very end of this darkness, Jesus shouts a famous exclamation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In an act of final cruelty, Jesus is once again mocked. They offered a drink to a suffocating man. You know how the cross works. Hung from pegs on his arms and his feet, all of his body weight. You have to push up to be able to breathe. How cruel to offer a suffocating man something to drink. They mocked him in that way. They they mocked him by his very cry. Who is he crying to? Elijah the prophet? Well, let's see if he comes. Will he answer this king of the Jews? And a moment later, having carried the burden of sin past, present, and future, our sin. One more cry, and Jesus was dead. In this brief description, between being hung on the cross and taking his last breath, what do we see? What what do we remember here 2,000 years later, sitting in Renton, and we can literally hear sirens outside our window right now. The weight of sin still seems to be powerful in our country, in our lives. What do we remember 2,000 years later from this moment with Jesus on the cross? In many ways, Jesus' last words to God on the cross are are a continuation of this prayer that he had prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember this from a couple of weeks ago. Right before his arrest, Jesus would pray in Mark 14. He would say, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Even before Jesus prays this prayer, he admits to his disciples that the weight, maybe even the darkness that he's feeling in his own soul, he says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. The same Jesus who has walked on water, who has multiplied food, who has healed and cast out demons, he knows exactly what we feel in moments of weakness and temptation and darkness and desperation. You know, sometimes kids have a a hard time believing that their parents were like them once. I've got three teenagers now, and they're pretty convinced I have no idea what it's like being a teenager. (laughs) Oh, Dad, they say as they roll their eyes. (laughs) You don't know what I'm going through or what is happening. And here we see Jesus, God in the flesh. He knows exactly 
what it's like to feel. Think about that. God in the flesh knows exactly what it's like to feel. To feel what we feel. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this. No, I don't have it on there. (laughs) It says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who entered into our humanity. And so Jesus, he didn't march straight to the cross like some sort of unfeeling robot. He knew what was in store beforehand, and in his humanity, he trembled at the thought. He felt the full weight of the brutal punishment and in absolute agony cried out, My God, my God! Now this leads us to a theological question. Did God really turn his back when Jesus was suffering on the cross? On on more than one occasion in the Old Testament, God says to his people that he would never leave them or forsake them. Again, the writer of Hebrews says this, Hebrews 13, verse 5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. If this was said to the people of Israel who continually rebelled against God, why would Jesus be declaring something different with his final words on the cross? Jesus went to the cross in obedience. Never mind the fact that Jesus and God are one. So we might ask the question, are there times, whether we are at fault or not, where God might turn his back on us in our suffering, even as we cry out to him? I mean, if he did it to Jesus, he would certainly do it to me, right? (laughs) But that's not true. God doesn't contradict himself. He, He says what he means. And so we can stand on the truth that even in our suffering, God keeps his word He will never leave us. And being fully God and fully man, I don't believe that there is any way relationally, spiritually, or theologically that there could be a separation of the Trinity, a breaking of the eternal relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So then what did Jesus mean when he said, why have you forsaken me? I believe what Jesus was doing in that final moment of his life was fully acknowledging the darkness of his situation and also pointing to the amazing faithfulness of God. In other words, Jesus was actually praising God in his darkest moment of suffering. And I'll explain that here in a moment. The way that he was doing this is Jesus was actually yelling out the opening line of a song. Specifically, Psalm 22. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 22 right now. Psalms is an easy book to find in the Bible. Why? Because you can just open your finger up and stick it down. There's Psalms. It's right in the middle. Psalm 22, verse 1. David, who wrote Psalm 22, verse 1, opens up by saying what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
There's no doubt that Jesus was referencing this psalm. As common as amazing grace is in the church today, the psalms, all of them, were to the people of Israel. They were, it was their worship book. And so when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was no doubt that he was referencing this psalm as he hung there on the cross. And while it may have gone over the heads of the Roman soldiers, it certainly didn't for the devout Jews. They would have recognized it as the opening line of David's song. And the psalm continues, Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my quiet cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Now, if we were to stop there, it would be easy to see a reinforcement of what sounds like abandonment by God. But Psalm 22 doesn't stop there. It continues. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. The rest of Psalms 22 uh, weaves in this prophetic imagery of what actually was happening or would happen to Jesus in his crucifixion, acknowledging the the pain and the torment and the mocking that Jesus would endure. This was a prophetic song, but the song would also end in hope. Verse 22 says, I will declare your name to my people, In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For, listen to this, he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Do you hear that? No matter how the odds may be stacked against you, No matter how oppressive the darkness and how great your suffering, God hears. So Jesus' desperate cry as he took all the weight of our sins was not a declaration of abandonment, but it was actually the first line of a song of hope. Think about in our culture famous songs, we hear the first line and immediately, boom, it evokes like an emotion or a memory, or we just start singing the song. Now, I tried to come up with a few examples here to to span the generations, okay? So bear with me. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Anybody know that one? Simon and Garfunkel. At first I was afraid, I was petrified. Anybody know that one? Kept thinking I can never live without by my side. Gloria Gaynor, okay? Uh, here's one that's my generation. Now, this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. Anybody know that one? Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Okay, um, uh, here's a Christian, uh, a Christian church one. If you like to talk to tomatoes, if a squash can... Right? Like veggie tales, right? We know how this works. This is why songs are so powerful, right? Songs communicate truth in a way that will forever be with us. You sit around and talk about advertising songs from your childhood, right? You still remember those songs. Similarly, 
when we say, oh God, we know what that means, don't we? We know what it means. Hanging there on the cross, fighting suffocation, Jesus' cry served as a type of liturgy. One line, probably all he could muster, to indicate both the immense suffering he was going through, but one line that also unfurled a song of hope and of victory. When Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, he communicated both the immense weight of sin and our suffering that he was bearing, and he pointed us forward toward what his death would accomplish. This is what we remember today. And this is why we call the day that Jesus was crucified Good Friday. Jesus' suffering and death was for our good. And I encourage you, this Friday, we're going to be gathering with a, a sister church of ours to remember that even more intently. And so today, though, we're also reminded that when we cry out the most important prayer to God. Oh God, forgive me. He hears us. And he does forgive us because of Jesus. How many times does he forgive us, church? One time? Whew, that wouldn't be good news, would it? Two times? Until he gets tired of it? No. Over and over and over and over again, Jesus forgives us. As much as we say, oh God, he says, yes, son, daughter, you are forgiven. So Jesus' cry on the cross was an opening line of a song that we're invited into. Psalm 22, which starts with asking why God has forsaken, it ends in this way. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. He has done it. I can't imagine what the followers of Jesus must have been thinking when they saw him hanging there on the cross. Peter, guilt-ridden because he had just denied Jesus three times. Mary, wondering how everything that had started so miraculous in Bethlehem, so supernatural, was now ending in this way. How? Could it end this way? And then, the cry of Jesus on the cross. 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wait a second. We know this song. <laughs> we know this song. We, we know where it's going. Jesus' cry to God was not the final note of the song, but instead a fulfillment of a prophetic promise. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow before him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. So today as we look toward Easter, we remember the horrific suffering and scandal of the cross as one line of the song that ends with, he has done it. The horrific opening events of the cross end with the victory of an empty tomb. And that's what we'll be celebrating together next Sunday. Jesus' suffering, Jesus' death has secured for us and all the nations on earth a promise that no matter how difficult this life, no matter how terrible the suffering, for those who belong to Jesus, we have the hope of eternal life made possible by his sacrifice. He has done it. Amen. We're going to close by singing a song that reflects on the saving power of Jesus. And I would encourage you, if you're in the midst of suffering, to know that Jesus hears you, that he has secured something for you far better than anything this world has to offer. And so let's keep that in, our, in mind as we, as we sing this last song. Have the worship team come up and let me just pray for us. Father, we ask this morning that, that we be reminded of the terribleness of our sin. We, we don't want to move away from that. It is what put you on the cross. We would feel the weight, even the shame of our sin, Lord. But then we'd be reminded that you died for that. You took the power of that, and you broke it. And so in you, we can be free from our sin. We can cry out to you, oh God, will you help me? And you will. Oh God, will you forgive me? And you will. Oh God, I need your comfort, and you will comfort me. May we be able to, to, to pray those prayers with confidence that sometimes the first line of the song is not the whole song. You have done it. May we find that to be more true than we ever have. Speak to us. Teach us and lead us. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.